you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 25 through 29 this morning. The title of the sermon this morning is More Bitter Than Death. Our key words are woman, wisdom, and wicked. Now, before I, was in, uh, before I was in the Army and moved to Savannah, I lived in the state of New Mexico for four years. I remember while I was there in the year 2000, there was a, a huge political debate that was going on, and it was based around um, the, the Rio Grande Silvery Minnow. If you know anything about the state, the Rio Grande River runs right through the middle of uh, right through the middle of the state of New Mexico. So there was this great debate about the silvery minnow, a two-inch minnow uh, that had a fairly short lifespan uh, that was in the Rio Grande River. It was because it was on the endangered species list. So the big question for politicians was, how do we preserve the silvery minnow? Now remember, we're pretty much in the middle of the desert in New Mexico, so water is not a very abundant resource. But the plan was to remove toxic plants out of the river for, uh, to uh, preserve the fish, to divert water from other streams and rivers and lakes in order to ensure that there is a proper amount of water to keep the silvery minnow alive. Uh, to shut down river industries such as fishing and boating and those sorts of things to save schools of these two-inch fish. If anyone was found with a silvery minnow in their possession for any reason, there was a heavy fine and possible imprisonment. So this whole ordeal went to court three times. It went all the way to the Tenth Circuit Court of Federal Appeals. And in the meantime, businesses suffered. Many were concerned about losing their water sources in order to preserve this fish. And millions and millions and millions of dollars were spent from taxpayer money, all to save a little minnow. Now we see this often in the news, right? Much effort is put into preserving endangered species. Whether it's a two-inch fish or a speckled owl or whatever it is, human beings have a great desire to see that which is endangered preserved. In today's passage, Solomon is going to point us to others who are on the brink of extinction. But instead of fighting for those who are on the endangered species list, like the silvery minnow or the speckled owl or the manatee. The world is seeking to be rid of this endangered species altogether. We'll say it is a rare species of great beauty, of tremendous value, of irreplaceable usefulness. And yet everywhere we turn, our culture is seeking to drive them further and further into non-existence. 
What am I talking about? Or better yet, who am I talking about? It is that of the God-honoring, God-glorifying, God-fearing woman. God-glorifying women are scarce. They are rare. And it seems as though they are soon to be extinct. God-fearing women are a rare gift of God's grace. And I hope this morning that this passage awakens our hearts to the great thankfulness that we ought to have for these rare, precious gems. But first, we need to look at the foundation of Solomon's point and how he gets there in this passage. Now, remember the context of chapter 7. Solomon is seeking wisdom. He's trying to understand the difference between wisdom and foolishness. How do I live wisely? How does one live foolishly? And yet, he sought to know this As he sought to know this, he found the reality of the greatest problem of all. That is the depravity of the human heart. The problem of sin. The wickedness of natural mankind. And this is the foundation on which he builds. Look with me at verse 25. Solomon writes, I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. So Solomon applies his mind to the human condition. He is using his great intellect and he is striving to make sense of this profound enigma. How can those who are rational men be so irrational? Why is it that those who bear the image of God sometimes stoop to the most brutalizing and dehumanizing excesses? Why is it that we are in a world so full of life and yet it is so disfigured by so much misery and suffering and death. Why, every one of us could ask, do I know this not simply by reading a newspaper, not simply by reading the scriptures, and not even simply by observing the world around me, but by our own experimentation with foolishness? with self-destructive and wicked things. In order to know the depravity of man, we need look no further than our own hearts. So we must ask very hard questions of ourselves about what we do and why it is that we do those things. And the godly person measures everything against the wisdom that begins with, as we spoke of several weeks ago, the fear of God. Now notice, Solomon is not content with mere knowledge of facts. He wants to, he says literally, to search it out, to seek this wisdom. He wants to know the reason for things. So he's tracing effects back to their causes. And his primary concern, he points out, is the wickedness of folly, the foolishness that is Madness. 
it is a shame that all of us can attest to. It is far greater to know folly and madness by observation, by the testimony of the word, by the account of others than it is by the terrible path of personal experimentation. As often said in our culture, some people just need to learn the hard way. I think we need to be real honest about that. What does the Bible call that mentality? What does the Bible call a mentality of, I just need to learn things the hard way? It calls it foolishness. It is revealing the wickedness of the human heart. That there is wisdom before us, but we reject it. Whether that is the Scriptures, whether that is others who have experimented in those ways and have warned us, the bridge is out ahead and yet we fail to acknowledge. Proverbs chapter 1 says very clearly that fools despise wisdom. And so to take that which is wisdom and completely reject it because we simply say of ourselves, I just need to learn some things the hard way on my own. We are called very clearly fools. We must be diligent as Christian people to pray. Psalm 19, 13. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. And so Solomon, in his search, has seen the depravity of man. Man's desire to go his own way. Look at verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Now, Solomon has written much of what we have in the Bible about women. We have this passage, uh, many sections in Proverbs that we will look at in just a moment, uh, the book of Song of Solomon. So, Solomon has written a few things about women, and um, I think we could look at his life and say that he probably knew at least something about women, right? He had a few of them around him to say the least. If you want to look with me at 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings 11, beginning in verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and the Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely... They will turn away your heart after their gods. 
Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Melech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offering and sacrifices to their gods. So in Solomon's search for pleasure, as he sought to find meaning in life, he tried for a very long time to find that in women. He thought, perhaps I'll, I'll get married. But what's better than one wife? Perhaps it's two. Or three, or four, or five. All the way up to 700 wives. Well, I'm married to them. They're not quite as exciting, so perhaps I need 300 concubines. In reality, what were they? They were prostitutes. And so Solomon had a thousand women at his house, all at his beck and call. And what do we find? His soul is as empty and as lonely as it ever was. Now he's talking about all that he has experienced with women here in this passage in Ecclesiastes. And he says, this is more bitter than death. But notice, he's talking about certain kinds of women. Back in verse 26, he says, This is the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. So let's be very clear about the type of women Solomon was associating with. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he probably wasn't meeting them at a prayer meeting, right? His type of woman was a wee bit different from what we hope for our daughters to be and our sons to marry, probably. They're probably not the winners of the most modestly dressed in high school. Let's just put it that way. But in Proverbs, Solomon presents a striking contrast of wisdom and of folly. And he does this by personifying these two traits, these two character traits as women. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon presents lady wisdom and woman folly. So here in verse 26, he is speaking of the true manifestation of woman folly, and he has encountered her time and time again. We just read she has led his heart to worship false idols. Listen to the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs. I'll read a few. There are many passages. 
Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. You will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Proverbs 5, 3 through 6. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Proverbs 6 Verse 20 through 35, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproves of discipline are the way of life. Why? To preserve you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes... To his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He who give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare. When he takes revenge, he will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. He presents this woman folly in Proverbs chapter 9. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. There are many more passages in Proverbs that speak to this type of woman. In Proverbs, of course, Solomon was giving warning, giving instruction, giving wisdom to his son. And saying, son, I've been there. I have seen that. I have turned from those who are godly to those who are ungodly. I have fallen into the snares of the adulteress, the evil, temptress woman. Be on guard and escape. These are the women whose hearts 
are snares and nets. These are the women women who seduce Solomon into idolatry. These are the women who are only escaped by loving and pleasing God that we not be taken by her. How do we escape this type of woman, men? Solomon tells us, he who pleases God escapes her. The only way to escape that of the evil, adulterous woman is to please God, to have union and communion with God. Look at verse 27 and 28. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher. While adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. So we see Solomon conducting a sort of survey. He's making an account and weighing things into scales to find the truth of the matter. Now it's important as we read the scriptures that we're not just We understand that we're not just reading the thoughts of the writer, but we are reading the words of God himself. So we're we're looking here through God's eyes and not just Solomon, the picky, lust-crazed man. But we will say that Solomon is a dead giveaway in terms of his problem with women. He has had issues with lust, with perversion, with not seeing and understanding women rightly. I think the 300 concubines running around his house are kind of a dead giveaway. So any desire that Solomon might have to know a woman deeply and intimately is stymied because he's just looking at another body. Without a soul. He has fallen into the trap of shallow, meaningless, lust-driven relationships that leave one's heart bitter and full of despair. Now men, listen to me here. You may not be running off to prostitutes to get your quick fill. But if you're looking at pornography, the results are exactly the same. It completely destroys. Apart from repentance, apart from God's amazing grace, it completely destroys your ability to see a woman rightly, to love them well, to not walk around frustrated and bitter and full of despair. If you're in the middle of that, flee. Get help. Be accountable to other men because you have fallen into the snare of woman folly and your exhilarating sense of liberty in that moment is only temporary. It's a free fall with death. That's all it is. Proverbs 23, 27 and 28 says, a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. But let's be honest, it's not like her task is all that hard. Remember, only the pleasure of God can rescue you. 
Now, ladies, be there no mistake. The world is spending billions of dollars to ensnare. We see that the world's desire is to get to where there is not one God-fearing woman in the land. Woman folly is the woman that the world wants you to be. Woman folly, the seductive temptress, is the woman the world desires for you. It's all over your magazines, your television shows, our billboards, you name it. Advertisers aren't dumb. Believe it or not, having a bikini-clad woman in four-inch hills really does turn a profit. Modesty and propriety don't do much to stimulate the market. But they please God. It is for us as it was in Solomon's day. Evildoers attack God's people. The desire is to take out the women and children first, to either slaughter them or to use them for their own lusts and dedication to their own God. If the world can pull godly women from the church into its harem, they have considered it a victory. Now, as previously mentioned, Godly women are an endangered species. But God-fearing women flourish in Christ's church. They are God's special gift. They are evidence of God's love. And they are to be honored among his people. We see many examples of godly women throughout the scriptures. And they always, always, always point to how great of a blessing they are to God's people, to the church. In the Bible, the grace of God works powerfully in the lives of women. Without a doubt, they bear the same sinful nature as men, and yet they are a treasure to us. They are a rare gift of God's grace, and we should be on our knees For Solomon tells us, a God-fearing woman is less than even one in a thousand. We must give great thanks to God for God-fearing women. So Solomon, we see here, is making a diligent search. He was looking with sanctified eyes within the courts of his realm to find a woman that showed the grace of the woman of God. Now remember, we've beat up on Solomon a little bit here this morning in all of his lust and fornication and adultery. He was outright sexually immoral, and it led him to idol worship. But Ecclesiastes is Solomon's repentance, his conversion. He sees that life under heaven does have meaning. So he is looking at all of these women that he has had in his midst, and he concludes, wait, Not a single one of them is godly. Not one. Now, the return wasn't all that better for men. You see, Solomon would have had the incredible amount of contact with important men. He was a king. Many men sought his wisdom. Servants, diplomats, mighty men, sailors, and all of them, as he conducts his survey, amongst all of them he finds one man and no women that show a fear of the Lord and the wisdom of God. 
Does this imply a spiritual defect in women compared to men? Hardly. One-tenth of one percent isn't much to brag about, right, gentlemen? Do not abuse the Scriptures with such foolish and proud thoughts. The effects of depravity are shared equally amongst men and women. Just remember, Solomon's woman picker was a bit messed up. It's not like he had the cream of the crop to look amongst. And as with the rest of his study, this one was conducted with the lights down low. But here's the point. God-fearing women are being hunted to extinction. There is a great campaign of the evil one to hunt them out and to destroy them. And men of integrity are equally as hard to find. Godly women of virtue are nearly non-existent. So we might ask, how is this the case? Surely this is not always the case. Look at verse 29. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. In the beginning, God created everything, and as he stood back and observed it, he said, it is good. Indeed, he called it very good good. He made man and woman perfect, but it did not take long to see the first and most destructive act of rebellion, cosmic treason that changed the course of all human history. The sin of Adam in Genesis 3 was the beginning of a constant string of attempts by men and women that continues to this day to take that which God has created as beautiful to show his power, to show his majesty, to show his grace, to show his love for his people and to pervert it and to manipulate it, to use it for sinful desires in rebellion against God. And so in the garden, God created sexual union as something to be delighted in and enjoyed amongst husbands and wives. But man has taken it and distorted it and perverted it for his own sinful lusts. God created food to provide man sustenance and enjoyment. And yet man has become gluttonous and has turned his stomach into his God. God has created drink for man's delight and enjoyment. And yet man has turned it for drunkenness and folly. And like these things, woman was created beautifully in God's image, and man saw her not as a well-constructed vessel of sexual perversion, but bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And sin seeks to debase femininity by making women to be objects of sex and seduction and temptation. Ladies, God has given you to the church as a woman to give him honor and praise. But the world wants to pervert that to make it all about your hips and curves and clothes and seductive looks. Of course, just as wicked is the evil in the hearts of man that drives this agenda of sin. It is by the pressure of men 
that the emphasis becomes one's figure and willingness to perform. Whatever it is that she, and more importantly, God, never intended for her. Be there no mistake, one of Satan's greatest desires amongst us is to pervert femininity. From a very young age, through television, movies, magazines, young ladies are taught that they are to strive to drive a man out of their mind, to be seductive, to be slim and beautiful with tight-fitting clothes, a body of perfection for men to lust after. You can buy triangle bikinis for your two-year-olds and bibs for toddlers that say heartbreaker and high chair hottie. I'm not kidding. $7.99 at Babies R Us. Is that what it means to be feminine? Is that what God intends when he gives us little girls to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? High chair hotties? Dads, listen. You have a very important role in your daughter's life. And I can assure you, in the eyes of God, it has nothing to do with how good she looks in apple-bottom jeans. Beauty is not something to be worn or manufactured through a can or a brush or a compact. Beauty is not something to be gained through exercise and spa treatments. I'm not condemning those things. I'm saying they're not beauty. Paint yourself up all you want, spend all year in the gym, tan and oil and smooth out your skin to perfection, but what defines that which is beautiful? It's not the lustful eyes of sinful men. Beauty is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now another way sin seeks to debase women and femininity and to pervert them is to completely change their role. This is a top-tier reason why godly women are, are near extinction. Our culture has wrongly assumed what the Bible actually teaches regarding the role of women and has therefore perverted it altogether. And we see time and again in the Scriptures that the woman's role is to be a helper, to be submissive to her husband. Not a slave, not a whipped puppy, but a respectful, submissive helper. Now, the world seeks to change this demeanor, to make women something that they are not intended to be. Tough, defiant, loud, as a man. It's not an issue of value, it's an issue of roles. Your brain and your lungs are equally as valuable for the functioning of your body, but they're not the same. They have different roles, but if you lose one of them, the entire body dies. It's hardly a time to argue about whether or not the lungs particularly like being lungs, and perhaps more important that they understand by God's grace that they are what they are for a very important reason. Their role may be different, but their value is just the same. Our roles God has given us for a very important reason, and we do well to walk in them. Another assault against the woman who seeks to honor God in her life is the sin of the tongue. 
It is especially the woman's grace to speak the law of kindness. Sin seeks to turn women into nasty, sharp, cutting gossipers. And Solomon's point here is that women who fear the Lord are rare in light of all that the world presents. To be a godly woman is a product of God's wonderful, saving grace in your heart. Now, to find a godly woman, you need to know where to look, right? As indicated, Solomon was looking in some strange places if that's what he was seeking. No wonder he found none. A harem of seductive women are not typically known for their spiritual acuity. So, young men, where do you look for a godly wife? Perhaps, I hope you can answer that for yourself if I give you a few rhetorical points to ponder. Would you look for diamonds in the polar ice caps of the North Atlantic? Would you hunt for polar bears in the Arizona desert? Would we expect carrots to grow in the Sahara? Do we expect to find the grace of wisdom and knowledge in God in those who practice open immorality? Where do you go to look for women? Ladies, where do you go to find a godly man? 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There's where we find them. We must be among those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Not simply among those who outwardly call upon the name of the Lord, but those who do so with a pure heart. In other words, we must be in the company of the spiritually minded in Christ Jesus. So there, though she is rare, The God-fearing woman is found and is a great blessing, is a great value to all of us. When something is rare, it only adds to its value, right? She should be honored. She should be loved. She should be well taken care of. And we see the great value in a believing, God-fearing woman because we see that she is the recipient of the grace of God which has renewed her and made her very precious in the sight of God. The value of a Christian lady is not just that she's a Christian lady. It is that she is treasured and cherished by the king himself. Godly women are daughters of the king. King Jesus. Redeemed by His grace, God has washed away their sin, taken them out of darkness into the everlasting embrace. And so we receive the instruction, husbands, love your wives. Why? Because she was once beautiful? Because we thought that she would be a certain way to satisfy all of our needs? No. We love them because they are precious in Jesus Christ. And Jesus will not suffer a word of hate to be spoken against them. They are a treasure. So the value we see in one another is that we have received undeserved 
the grace of God and are therefore precious unto God himself. So what is God's intent for his daughters? They will be beautiful in his temple. They are going to be in his procession, giving honor and glory unto the Lamb. That is his purpose. They are joint heirs in the life of grace. Not only as Christ sees them, but also their blessing unto us. Their calling in the church of Jesus Christ is that she is the one who makes the church a home. She provides the fellowship of the church. Remember, Eve was made to be a helper. That is a lofty title. Consider the scriptures. Our help is in the name of the Lord. God helps us in our time of need. God has come to our aid This is the role God has given women, the grace of help in the church. What an honor. We see this in the women of the Bible. They understood the needs of Jesus and the disciples. They didn't need a list. They saw needs and they met them. Men in the church preach, teach, rule, dispense the mercies of Jesus, but women have the great honor of helping. And in so doing, they make the church a home. Women welcome others into the fellowship of the body. They do wedding and baby showers and housewarming parties. They send cards and give hugs and encourage the lonely. And if any church is to be a home, it is through the believing women in the church. The atmosphere of the home is worked by the Spirit through God-fearing women. Men, when we look at our wives and our daughters walking in the way of God, we must be on our knees giving praise to God for such grace. It is exceedingly rare. Do not take it for granted. It is a wonderful blessing from God. Others should look at us and see the value we place on our sisters in Christ and should know about your wife whom they have never met. They should know from you that she is a wonderful gift of God of whom you are thankful and that you view and love her with the tenderest of affections that God has given to you for her. Consider buying an old foreclosure. There's a lot of junk stored in the attic, so when you get time, you go through all of it. You find a piece of art in a nice frame. You're not particularly fond of it, but you might be able to gain a few dollars at the auction. So you put it up for auction, and everyone very quickly begins to huddle around it and whisper to one another, and silence fills the room when it's up for bid. The bidding opens at $10,000. And soon it jumps to 20. Eventually it sells for $80,000. That piece of art you didn't so much appreciate when you found it in your attic happens to be a signed Picasso painting. What happened? The object didn't change. You were ready to toss it out. 
but immediately your perspective changed. What once was trash was now of incredible value. Men, do you know the incredible value of your wife? Young men, do you know the incredible value of a young Christian lady? Do you know who made her? Do you know her value in the sight of God? It's priceless. If you do, men, if we have the right perspective on godly women, we will never have a desire to cast her aside or seek to replace her, but we will prize her for her great beauty. Our perspective is distorted because we have been marred by the deceitful and wicked desires of our hearts. God made men upright, but man has sought out many schemes. Man has marred God's image and has sought continuously to be and do that which is in direct opposition to God. But God, by His great mercy and love, has sought to make us right with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. By God's grace, it is possible in Jesus Christ that I can look out among a thousand Christian men and a thousand Christian women and say, I have searched and I have found 100% who are pleasing to God. Why? Is it because of our great efforts in human wisdom? Is it because of your personal good deeds? No. It's because of Jesus. Because he made Christ to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Ladies, if you are not in Christ, there is hope. Men, if you are seeking to find fulfillment and satisfaction apart from Christ and looking to ungodly women, there is redemption. Don't delay. Run to Jesus. Let us all look to Jesus, that godly women not go extinct, and that godly men might be found in abundance in our midst, that we would rejoice in what God has given us. We would be in our knees with great thankfulness for the joy and satisfaction that is to be found in his great gift. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled to the dust to think of the great gift of God-fearing, godly, loving women. We are humbled of the great joy that is to be found in loving and cherishing them well as the treasures they are. We are humbled to know that we have wisdom only by your grace, only for your 
glory. Not because we were smart enough. Not because we did something, but because you did everything. And you did so on our behalf in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us as a body of Christ to cherish the great gem of a godly woman in our midst. Help us to love our sisters well. Help us as men to seek wisdom, to seek to raise our young daughters in godliness, in a proper understanding of beauty, that she would seek to have a great love for the Lord. Give us that grace. Unite us together with that desire. Help us, O Lord, to walk in godliness together. I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, who is dead in transgressions and sins, that they would no longer seek after that which fails to bring pleasure and satisfaction, that they would lay aside all the snares of entrapment in this world and they would flee to Christ, that they would know profoundly that their need is not to clean themselves up because it will never be done, but to run to Christ, to cling to the cross, that he would be at work within them to cleanse them, to fill them with joy everlasting. We love you, O Lord, and we thank you. We praise you for your word, for your instruction, for your grace, and most ultimately for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.